By the way, I'm just notified. I love the ameners in the congregation of whatever age. So that's a always good, good and encouraging for a pastor. I hope you are having a good Christmas, a Merry Christmas Eve, and a Merry Christmas Day to you all. And our focus this morning, we're going to take a few minutes to talk about the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. We're enjoying family at Christmas. And of course, uh, I was kind of laughing the other day. Suzanne and I were talking about grandkids. And I think we named them all before we got to the one we were actually talking about. And it's, it's always interesting how you get to uh, how parents name children. Uh, we have uh, some uh, expectant mothers. I'm confident that they are working on appropriate names and fa- mothers and fathers yeah, appropriate names for their kids I don't know am I supposed to tell anybody that <laughs> I have to say I'll say say whoops and and, and congratulations by the way to uh, <laughs> um but but names are always interesting in our family of course Stephen our firstborn and then we had a daughter we named Christopher and call her Chrissy, and we had a daughter we named Danielle, and call her Danny. Sometimes, it, and, and of course, all three of them are, are perfect. I don't know. Years ago, I was learning get, guitar, and uh, Johnny Cash had just come out with a song. This will date me learning guitar. And it was uh, a boy named Sue. Anybody remember that? I don't so. Yeah. Now, I have a twin brother, uh, and uh, we have uh, not only the same face, we have the same name, uh, same name as my, both my father and my grandfather. It's Martin. Uh, Martin, of course, means warlike or dedicated to Mars, the god of war. Mark carries my father's name, Luther Martin Price, and we call him Mark. I carry my grandfather's name, Thomas Martin Price. Uh, uh, Marty, of course. Uh, Thomas means twin. That's great. Worked out perfectly, didn't it? Uh, Luther is Germanic, and uh, it, it means a soldier or army of the people. Unless I was angry with him, then we just called him Lucifer. And uh, that, <laughs> uh, so, Some people have names that fit them, some people not so much. Uh, there is a race car driver whose name is Andy Freeze. I thought that was great. His name is Andy Freeze, and he's a race car driver. Andy Freeze is a good thing to have on a day like today. There is a dentist in Ohio whose name is Dr. Decay. And there is a sound tech whose name is Mike Stand. He's a real person. Uh, all real people. And while those names fit, not, all, not everybody's names fit. Uh, while I was doing some, some preparation for this, I came across a woman serving time for stabbing her husband because he made her mad because he ate her snacks. Her name, Purity Grace. Kind of, kind of interesting. And then I went to school with an athlete named Pinky. And so it's sometimes, it, it, you know, there's no accounting for names, but names are important. Na- names do carry a lot. They shape uh, us in some ways. But uh, in the Bible, of course, names are, are very important. Scripture places a particular emphasis on names and their meanings. Some names are descriptive they denote a predominant characteristic either physical or uh, a personality trait or something about a person's character sometimes a name is given in scripture because of a role that is to be performed or a task a role to be filled a task to be performed 
Uh, you guys will remember how God took Abram, which means great father, and changed his name to Abraham, the father of a great many people. Or you may remember how God took uh, uh, Isaac Jacob and uh, changed his name to uh, uh, Israel, which means one who contends with God or one who wrestles with God. And, of course, you remember how Jesus had uh, Simon as his disciple, and because of the role he was to play in the church, he changed his name to Cephas or, or Peter Rock. And so I wanted to focus on Jesus' name this morning, and when I first began, I started looking up the names and the titles that are given to the Lord Jesus Christ. I stopped at 47, which you'll be glad to know. And then thought, I thought, well, there are six of them that are, are recurring and that are very significant that I think it would be good for us to, to really get a focus on. You can't read those, but there's a bunch of them. Um, and then as I was preparing, I thought, yeah, six is going to be too many. We're going to whittle this down to four. And as I was preparing for the four, I got down to two and prepared the outline and gave it to Kendra and said, this is what we're going to do, Sonny. And then about halfway through the day, I came back and said, Kendra, drop the second half of the outline off. We're going with one. And so this morning, I want us to look at one of the names of Jesus that we find in Matthew chapter one. And so uh, I would encourage you, and we're going to do this a little bit differently than probably what I have on the slides, but I would encourage you to open your Bibles or to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read the Annunciation of the Angel to Joseph. We'll read this passage of Scripture, and then we'll have a, a prayer, and we'll talk about the name that was both prophesied in Isaiah and that was revealed to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, what a title, by the way. I'm certain he got his attention. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'll read one more verse. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you just for the reality of what we celebrate at Christmas. God with us. God taking the form of sinful man. God walking this life and living a righteous life. God making a way to unite us to you. I pray, Father, that you will indeed help us to have a close and a clear understanding 
of what it means to be your children and the, what you accomplish by coming at Christmas. We love you and we're grateful. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So in the Matthew passage, we have, Joseph, uh, we have the angel talking to Joseph in a dream, in a vision. And he says, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife. She is with child from the Holy Spirit. And you shall name this child Jesus. Because this other prophecy is being fulfilled. The prophecy that you're aware from Isaiah chapter 7, which says, God will, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, uh, just really quick, this is just kind of a parenthesis. Uh, do you spell Emmanuel with an I or with an E? Yes, the answer is yes. Thank you, Jim. That's right. Uh, and, and many of you may have wondered why I often have which one should it be. Uh, the, the answer is very simple. The, the Hebrew name Emmanuel starts with an ayin, with a vowel point, and if you transliterate Emmanuel from the Hebrew, it starts with an I. However, the Greek transliteration of that name is written like what you see on the screen, and there's an epsilon at the beginning, and so if you translate it from the Greek, it begins with an E. But the most important thing about Emmanuel is not the spelling. What is most important is the meaning behind the name. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. This is the name applied to Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. So why is that a big deal? I think it's the first question that we ask. Why is that a big deal? Isn't God everywhere all the time? Why is it a big deal that God is with us? And the short answer is, of course, yes, God is everywhere. But there is a divide between God and mankind a divide that was brought about by sin. Let me just ask, and many of you are gathering with family and people you haven't seen in a long time, maybe at Christmas time. Have you ever been in someone's presence but totally disconnected from them? Have you ever kind of conscientiously avoided someone or been away from someone? Either through apathy, they don't care that you're there or you don't care they're there. Or through ignorance, they don't know anything about you or you know nothing about them or through hostility, they don't like you, or they're mad at you, or they wish you weren't there. You're in their presence, but in no sense of the word could you say that you're actually with them. You see, it is the same with God and people. Since the creature rebelled against the creator, all of us have this divide, this split. It's not apathy. It's not ignorance. The Bible calls it hostility. Recently, we went through the wonderful truth found in Romans chapter 5 of the amazing love God has for us. Do you remember how that passage starts? In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the, the apostle Paul writes, and he says, Therefore, having been justified. In chapter 1 and 2, he talks about how everyone is lost and separated from God by sin, whether Jew or Gentile. In chapter 3, he talks about how we are all equally guilty before God, but God made a way for us to come to him. Through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's no longer obeying the law. It never has been. But it's not about obeying the law to come to know God. It's about who God provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, he talks about faith. He goes to Abraham and he goes to David. And he explains that we enter into this relationship by faith, by putting our trust in God. And when we do, God declares us not guilty because Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And when we come to him by faith and repentance and yielding ourselves to him, our sins are washed away. And we're declared innocent. We're declared right with God. Therefore, having been justified, 
What's the next phrase? We have peace with the Father. This peace is not so much us being at peace with Him as it is Him being at peace with us. Something we don't like to think about, something that's not often heard in churches nowadays is the terrifying statement. And it is a terrifying statement. That's found in Romans chapter, I mean Romans, found in the book of Psalms, the seventh chapter, where the psalmist is conveying God's attitude toward the unrighteous and toward sinners. He says in the ESV translation, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day against sin. All right, the King James Version, as I learned it, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, to be clear, his anger is not like ours. A lot of times we get angry. We just get irritated. We get frustrated because of of our offense or because of a preference that we have. But his anger is a just anger. It's a righteous anger. It's an anger we earn and we deserve because we've made him our enemy. That's what Romans chapter 5 told us as we went through that study just two weeks ago. Uh, we are ungodly at enemy and at enmity with God. We have ignored him. We've disobeyed him. We've turned away from him. You will remember the Isaiah passage in Isaiah 53. All we, can you, you remember it? All we like sheep. What comes next? Have gone astray. What have we done? We've turned every one to his own way. And we think this is just life. This is life how it is. This is, this is what we're supposed to do. We live, we're born, we live, we do the best we can, then we die, and it's all over. Bible, the Bible gives us such a more full and more complete and honestly uh, the truthful picture that we have a creator who created us, who designed us, who made us as he intends for us to be made who guides and directs our lives, who calls us to himself, who desires to live within us and to cleanse us and to wash us and forgive us and to give us an eternal home in his presence, certainly being at peace with him. It's important. Uh, how, do, how does God bring about this peace? God in the flesh, coming to his own, came to bring peace with him. Well, let's finish the verse. I'm Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the next phrase the most important phrase and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all you see that's where peace comes from the 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 god's righteous indignation god's righteous anger against sin was laid on the lord jesus christ God took the penalty of our sin upon himself on the cross, canceling our debt, declaring us righteous, and so giving us his own righteousness. And so back to just reiterate again, what does it mean that God is with us? Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God is with us. Christ came in order that we might have peace with God. Now, this is significant. This peace with God is more than just God's presence and some sort of ambiguous harmony everything's okay everything's all right um there's a old rock song jesus is just all right with me you guys remember that that song just makes me mad every time i hear it he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords and frankly it's not about him being all right with me it's about me being right with him 
that matters. It's, it's why he came. It's what Christmas is about. But it's more than just some kind of surface peace. I know a lot of households where there is tension in the household, but there's no no rage, no anger, no fits. And you could call that a form of peace, but it's not peace. The peace that Jesus came to give is intimacy. It's intimacy. A slave can be in the presence of his master and not be with him. Rather be fearful and dis- distant and divided even though they're in the same place. But because of this peace with God we have through Christ, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. I love this. this is Romans chapter 8. We've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is dad, daddy, father. Let me just read that passage. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Romans chapter 8. Just, you can make a note. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God. That's us, guys. That's those who know Christ Jesus. For all of us who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. We're no longer a slave cowering in the presence of God. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Dad, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bear witness, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I hope you have that kind of relationship with God. I know far too many of us, our Christianity is more of a value system that we live by than a relationship with a living person. It's so easy for us to think of all the commandments and never think of the commander and the motivation behind what he has given us the rules for. We uh, we end up with what is a, a pretty faithful to the rules kind of lifestyle, all the while neglecting the person of God who walks with us. God with us, Emmanuel. The reality of Christmas ought to blow us away when it doesn't, when it's not about the person, but it's about just kind of a value system that we have chosen. Our prayers become mechanical, and we're largely talking to ourselves when we pray. Our giving becomes something that we choose not to do or it becomes something that we begrudgingly do. Our singing becomes perfunctory or performance rather than love songs to the one who loves us so Our difficulties become challenges to struggle through on our own, grit our teeth and grind it out, rather than resting in Him and trusting Him and seeing Him moving on our behalf. When we're unfaithful, He's faithful, unfailingly faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. When we're in need of comfort and consolation, He is the God of all comfort, the consolation of Israel, the consolation of the world. In sign language, the way that I sign, and I, I assume it's acceptable, <laughs> the way that I sign, the way that I was learned to sign uh, together is together, two fists like this, together. But there's a whole nother sign for intimacy, and it's where you open the palms and you put them face to face and you just kind of move them back and forth. And the picture there, that we should have of our relationship with God, the intimacy, the second point on your outline, of our intimacy with God is is being not just aware of His presence, but being connected to Him in a deep, 
in meaningful way. Talking to him, listening to him, depending upon him, relating him. Because of this, we trust him. I want to give you some ideas uh, when you, uh, w- what you can picture about intimacy. Picture a child being enveloped in the strong arms of a loving, protective father. Or, or picture a, a struggling teen beginning to face the realities of life and pouring their heart out to a dad who is listening. Or, or picture a young man who is walking side by side with his dad in, in quiet harmony, knowing how much he is loved and loving in return. Or, or picture an adult who is sitting down at the kitchen table over a cup of coffee with their parent, sharing dreams that have been realized, dreams unrealized and disappointments, sharing frustrations, sharing hope, sharing life, communing with one another. One of the last times I got to see Dad before he went to the hospital, we uh, went to his house and we just sat at the kitchen table. Great place to be, by the way. Always my favorite place in Mom and Dad's house. But we would sit at the kitchen table and we would make coffee and we would argue theology and talk about things that were fun, things that were interesting, things that were challenging. We, not, a, not a lot of arguments, occasional arguments, but certainly uh, we would open up our, our minds and our hearts to one another. So take those pictures of an intimate relationship and multiply it by thousands to get a sense of the kind of intimacy Jesus came to bring. God with us. Emmanuel, giving us peace with the Father. God with us. Emmanuel, deepening our relationship to the point of an intimate walk. Because Jesus came, we have intimacy with God. But this intimacy is built on trust. It's built on trust. You can't have an intimate relationship with someone that you don't have confidence in. Someone who's not honest. Someone who's not with you. Someone who fails and disappoints. And those of us that have walked with God for any length of time, we know a few things. We know a few things. We know that when we walked through the fires, they didn't kindle upon us. We were protected. He was with us. We know that when we were swamped by the rivers that threatened to drown us, He has delivered us. We know that when we face the battles that have threatened to overcome us, He has fought for us. Exodus fourteen fourteen. When we've been anxious, we've looked for and found that the Lord is at hand beside us and in us. When we are weak, He is strong. When we're faithful, unfaithful he's faithful when we have need we find and have found he has been all we've needed isn't that great intimacy with god because of our trust in god because of who he is because of the lord jesus christ because he is god with us we can trust him the third point on your outline we trust god that's present perfect tense Ongoing, We have trusted, and we continually trust in Him. So, this Christmas Day, the question I would ask you to consider is, is God with you? Yes, God's here. But is He with you? Are you with Him? The Greek word with is soon, S-U-N. It's not pronounced sun. It's got kind of an E sound in it, soon. And it's the idea of being gathered together so that you can't be separated. 
the illustration that Dad always used, I'll share it with you, is Mom making biscuits. Now, I don't know if y'all make biscuits or not, but my mom can make some biscuits, all right? And when she makes biscuits, at least back in the day, it was rolling out dough and it was mixing all this stuff up together. But when you cut something in, you put it on or in, and then you fold it over and you knead it and you roll it out. And now you can't take those ingredients apart. They are together and enmeshed and joined together and they've become something different. Guys, that's a picture of what happens when we come to Christ in repentance and faith. Our life given to him, his life given to us, joined together with an intimacy. It's what Christ came to accomplish. God with us, Emmanuel. I pray that that is your experience. I pray that you are with him in this way, that the guilt of your sins has been laid upon him, bringing peace with the Father. I pray that you walk with him in intimacy and that you trust in him day by day, step by step, trial by trial, victory by victory. If not, could it be because you aren't at peace with him? We started reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, so that the prophecy might be fulfilled. It says, a virgin shall bear a child and his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what is Isaiah chapter 7 all about? The prophecy is given in Isaiah may, chapter 7 may apply to you. There was a king of Judah named Ahaz. Israel had split. All of the people of God had divided. There's a northern kingdom called Israel. There's a southern kingdom called Judah. And they were at war with one another. And the ruler of the south was Ahaz. The ruler of Judah was Ahaz. And he was not one who was paying attention to God. He was wicked and rebelling against God. For the southern kingdom, in the battles, the carnage was bad. Over 120,000 killed in, in a battle. Uh, it was made worse because of the attitude and the rebellion of their young king Ahaz. This is found in both Second Kings chapter 16 and Second Chronicles chapter 28. Is, uh, Judah was brought low because of Ahaz's disobedience. He worshipped pagan gods. He took his child, his own child, and offered him up in idol worship to Molech and had his child killed he polluted the worship in the temple there in Jerusalem. And yet in Isaiah chapter 7, God is calling Ahaz back. He's calling for Ahaz's attention. They're fixing to have a battle again. Israel's fixing to attack again. Not only that, Israel has uh, an ally in Syria, and they're going to come and attack the southern kingdom. And so the prophet Isaiah goes to Ahaz and says, Listen, God says, don't worry. He will fight for you. He will give you victory. Just turn to him and trust him. As a matter of fact, you can even ask for a sign. God will give you a sign that what he says is true. And Ahaz, seeking to solve his own problems, handle his own situation, <coughs> excuse me, refusing to turn to God, <coughs> turn, doesn't even ask for a sign, unwilling to even ask for a sign. And instead, he goes into the temple, he takes the gold out of the temple, and he goes to Assyria, of all people, to form a partnership, an uh, alliance in battle, seeking to solve his own situation, refusing to ask for a sign for God. But God, in his graciousness, says, I'm going to give you one anyway. <laughs> the gracious God of the universe responds with the most meaningful sign of all, the prophecy of the virgin-born Messiah, clearly seen in this text read read it read isaiah chapter 7 you see god's hostility to sin is judgment against sin 
but you see his love for his people. As he invited Ahaz, the gospel is a summons to all of us. It is a summons to all of us to come unto me. It's what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 11. You guys remember the passage in Matthew chapter 11? Let's read it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. And let's look this one up. I want it either on the screen or for you to go ahead and open your scriptures because it's such an important passage. Matthew chapter 11. We'll start in verse 27. Jesus is speaking and he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm here. I'm the Messiah. I'm fulfilling the task that God has given to me. I'm the promised one. I'm the anointed one. God has entrusted to me. God the Father has entrusted me, God the Son, with this task. And here I am. But he goes on to say, No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He's saying, I'm here with you, but you haven't known it until now. That I'm, And I'm making sure you know. I'm the Messiah. I want you to know who I am. I am revealing the Father to you, and I am revealing your need of Him. He is who you need. I am the way to Him. So listen to the call. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's the story of Christmas. It is the Messiah promised and the promise fulfilled. It is the offer of life given by the giver of life. God is with us, and he invites you to come to him. Don't be be an Ahaz. Don't be stubborn. Don't don't continue to try to live life your own way. Rather, come to Him in repentance and faith. And you will receive the gift of life. You'll become something you've never been before. You will become with God. God with us. Isn't God good? I pray that you have a wonderful Christmas. And I pray that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior... That today the Word of God and the Spirit of God will open your eyes and will draw you. And He will reveal to you, not just as we read the text in just English language spoken across the room, but speaking as only God can speak to your heart and to your spirit. And reveal to you your need of your Savior so that you will respond in repentance and faith. 